Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Burt's Books podcast. It is going to be a big one this week, I can feel it. And it just seems the busier I get, the more I read. Uh, Perhaps though, not as much as I thought I'd read because I did sort of say I had five books to talk about this week. But as I have sat down to record this, I've just realised that I've only read four this week. Unless I have lost one somewhere, which is entirely possible, because at any given point in my flat I can see approximately 72 books. Some of those books are books that are ready to be dispatched, but are waiting on other books to complete the order. Some of them are books that I have read, some of them are books that are waiting to be read... And on Wednesday, I received a big supply of books from my wholesaler. Now, you'll know if you've been listening for the last few weeks that uh, the pot, the that the wholesalers have been closed. Very limited stock has been coming from them, but they have just opened up again. And that Wednesday saw a big chunk of books come from their stock, which means that I then spent the last the next two days catching up on orders but because of the lockdown they themselves are a little light on some stock so I haven't quite got everything yet as publishers try and reprint and catch up but I'm hoping that the next big parcel which will be arriving on Monday I think will allow me to finally dispatch the majority of the remaining orders which will hopefully ease some of my anxiety and life can stabilise even if it's just for a little bit. For the record, though, please do keep buying books. That also helps with my anxiety. And now that the supply chain is returning to normal, it should all become much smoother and you should all receive your books pretty quickly. Meanwhile, I have got four books to tell you about this week, plus an update not only on the best-selling books of the last week, but also on the best-selling books of the year so far. Plus a very special guest later on. All that and more coming up on the other side of the jingle. The first book that I'm going to tell you about this week is Goldilocks by Laura Lamb. Now it's not about a young girl and three bears, it is in fact about uh, a group of astronauts who go into space. Here's the blurb. Ravaged by environmental disaster, greed and oppression, our planet is in crisis. The future of humanity hangs in the balance, and one woman can tip it over. Despite increasing restrictions on the freedoms of women on Earth, Valerie Black is spearheading the first all-female mission to a planet in the Goldilocks zone, where conditions are just right for human habitation. It's humanity's last hope for survival, and Naomi, Valerie's surrogate daughter, and the ship's botanist, has been waiting her whole life for an opportunity like this, to step out of Valerie's shadow and really make a difference. But when things start going wrong on the ship, Naomi starts to suspect that someone on board is concealing a terrible secret, and realises time for life on Earth may be running out faster than they feared. So this is actually the Naomi's one of five astronauts, which includes her, her surrogate mother, Valerie, and they are all female and they're going on a trip uh, to Mars where there is a sort of big 
gateway that they can use to fling themselves into warp and across the galaxy to to the Goldilocks zone, to this to this planet Cavendish, they've called it. Now, what they've actually done is steal the spaceship that they're on. And Valerie's son, Evan, is on Earth communicating to them. Because of the way that things have gone in society, the women aren't allowed, women aren't really given jobs anymore. They, you know, they... They, they can apply, but they never seem to get them. You know, there were there were 20 candidates for one of the astronaut, uh, for one of the space expeditions that Naomi wanted to go on. Uh, 13 of them were male, seven of them were female, and the seven women were the only ones who didn't get into the programme. And what I liked about this book was that it actually takes the feminist approach uh, that sort of suggests that actually, do you know what, if women ran the world everything would just be so much better and we sort of do believe that but actually one of these women has become corrupt uh, as the blurb suggests and what it shows is that yes women probably are a bit better at just running things but also they are as susceptible to uh, power trips as anyone else even if their intentions are good it does make you wonder, what, what am I trying to be taught from this book? You know, sh- should women be in charge? Should men be in charge? And actually, maybe it's just people should be in charge, but let's find a way to get rid of the power-hungry and the corrupt. There's got to be a way that we can all work together to get where we want to go. And then Naomi has some big decisions to make while she's on board. And... It, it's a really pacey book. It reminded me a lot of The Martian, actually, by Andy Weir. Um, it also had really good uh, representation. Obviously, it's uh, about women, but there were lesbians in there. There are gay men mentioned in there, uh, black people, um, all sorts of ethnicities. So it's done a really good job of having a diverse set of characters and still and producing a good book which I feel like some people think they can't do I don't know that there's much more I can say about it without really spoiling anything uh it's it's out in hardback it's out now by Laura Lamb and you can order it from burtsbooks.co.uk and I think actually you if you enjoyed The Martian you will really enjoy this book uh even if you're not into science fiction i think this is one of those ones that's probably a little bit more accessible there aren't aliens flying around all over the place this is this is this is essentially contemporary fiction a couple of hundred years early if that makes sense these are all very human characters very human problems just not in quite the world that we know Last week, uh, I asked you to tell me about your favourite audiobook, and it actually provoked quite a bit of discussion. Lots of differing points of view about whether actually people enjoy listening to audiobooks or not. But it seems that the majority of people who do like them tend to find non-fiction is easier to listen to than fiction. And I think, as well, largely it massively depends on the narrator. And anything narrated by Stephen Fry does seem to be a winner. 
I think for me, the problem that I have with audiobooks is I struggle to concentrate. My hands have to be doing something all the time. And if I am cleaning the flat or just doing work and packing up books and trying to listen to something, anything, I find my, my brain going off in a different direction and I realise, oh, I've missed that. Whereas actually with a physical book, it's holding on, I'm holding on and my brain is processing the words in front of me. Like It's very hard to think about something else whilst reading, but less so when, when listening. However, there are some great books out there on audio, and uh, one of the ones that got recommended uh, was Mythos by Stephen Fry, uh, the Sandy Toxvig biography memoir. That got recommended a lot as well. Uh, and also Thursday Next, which I knew it would, uh, because I know a few of you have listened to it before. And it was the one that I recommended on last week's Radio Wiltshire evening show. And that was the reason I asked you uh, about audiobooks. That's why it was in my mind. Because from now on, uh, for a few weeks at least, whilst lockdown continues, I will be on BBC Radio Wiltshire on a Monday evening recommending an audiobook. And if you're not in the Wiltshire area, you can listen on the BBC Sounds app. It's on at around 9.15, but I do suggest listening to the whole show because they play some great music and they recommend podcasts, new bands, things to do, watch on TV, and it's just a nice distraction. And the host uh, is Bargain Hunt's Tim Weeks, and he's a great host as well, so a fun show. Now this week is partly inspired by the Sandy Toxvig recommendation, and partly by the announcement of Claudia Winkleman's memoir, Quite, which is going to be coming out this autumn, I want to talk to you about biographies. What is your favourite biography or memoir? Is it a celebrity one? Is it a one by a well-known person who maybe you wouldn't call a celebrity, but is well, you know, is well known, but has an interesting story to tell? Or is it just a great story from a great storyteller? Somebody like Chris Atkins, who wrote a bit of a stretch, who I didn't know about um, before I read his book. Uh, but it was a great account of what life is like behind bars. So tell me, uh, let me know on Twitter, at Burt's Books, or email me, Burt, at burtsbooks.co.uk, and let me know your favourite biography. Second book I read this week was one that I promised a customer of Burt's Books that I would read. She ordered it as well, and the day that I sent it out to her, I started to read it. It is The Eve of Man by Giovanna and Tom Fletcher. Reason I wanted to read it was it, it's been out a while, and I kind of meant to get round to it just to see what it was like, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, what is it like, though, I hear you asking, if you haven't read it already? Well, here's the blurb. Against all odds, she survived. The first girl born in 50 years. They called her Eve. Eve lives alone in the tower, under the strict gaze of the mothers. She is prized and protected, because she is the last girl on Earth. Eve has always understood that the survival of the human race is in her hands. Now she's 16, and three males have been selected. Eve knows it's time to face her fate. Until she meets Bram. 
Eve sees a chance for something she never thought could be hers. But how do you choose between love and the future of humanity? I don't know that I would necessarily have focused on the love side of things if I had written that blurb. It's actually a little bit Hunger Games-esque. Um, and I think if you read the Hunger Games books, you'll know that they kind of follow a bit of a format for the first two and then go off on a wild tangent on the third. But if you just take the first one, that game of things, it, it kind of reminded me of that because you get introduced to this world, but you don't actually see much of it. Uh, this tower that Eve lives in, uh, she actually lives on a, in a dome right at the top, whilst the rest of the tower is made up of of guards and scientists and and the mothers. The mothers are like a group, a convent almost, of nuns who are all 66 or plus, like the oldest woman, sorry, the youngest woman on the planet, apart from Eve, is 66. Uh, she's now 16, and they have prepared her, where you know, from uh, for her task, which is to repopulate the earth, which is a big old uh, task for one girl, I guess. There's lots of questions about the world which they've ended up in this this sort of dystopian future, and you know there are lots of impacts from. Uh, the climate change actually something it has in common with Goldilocks uh, this world where where the climate has decimated parts of the world and and everyone is in in trouble essentially the world is the public the 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 population is is dying but also in that tower that's where Bram lives and so we don't actually see much outside of this with this tower which is kind of sort of apart from the rest of the world. So whilst there are some bits that we know about, mostly because of the mothers mention it, we know, for instance, that women stopped going to bars because as there became fewer and fewer of them, they became... It became dangerous for them because suddenly, instead of a one-for-one, like, split in terms of the gender population in a bar it suddenly became well there were two men for every woman three men for every woman five men for every woman and now you know a 16 year old boy he has no option there are no women for him uh, apart from a 66 year old and there is a bit of uh that's alluded to that younger men are are going with these older women uh at, you know as as or have been with them, most of them now at 66, I would imagine, are, are not producing any babies. And I think they kind of hint as well that a 14-year-old, 15-year-old may also be roughly the youngest uh, children on the planet. Because again, mo- you know, no women born for that long meant that no babies are born once the woman's hit menopause. And so once the youngest woman hit 50, 52, the kind of stopped being this population, not boom, just a population growth. It just became population stagnation uh, and even decrease. I've gone off on that tangent just because I, I kind of found it, I wanted to know more about that world. For instance, and just from my own, you know, point of view, what did the men do? Uh, you know, 
are all these soldiers that are living in the tower, are they all now gay? You know, we all know because men constantly put it on the news that uh, that you know they couldn't help themselves when it came to to rape because they looked so pretty or whatever. And men apparently seem to have this biological urge to orgasm. So what have they been doing? Has the population of the world turned gay? Have they invented sex robots? And there is kind of alluded to, um, there are certainly uh, gay men in the the world, um, but we don't meet really, we don't meet them. They're kind of noted as being in the background but it doesn't mean that the book is altogether sexuality free and the reason for that is that Eve is accompanied in the dome by Holly. Holly is the same age as her, she is a young girl, um, you know blonde, pretty and is Eve's best friend. She is also not real, she's a rejection and She's piloted, that's the term they use, by men, um, boys, saying age is Eve, who interact with her in the guise of Holly. So they are pretending to be women, and Bram is one of those pilots. And he's actually been one of these uh, pilots of Eve since... Uh, sorry, one of the pilots of Holly since he was very, very young. So he's grown up with with Eve and he knows her very well. And actually, she can tell the difference between when this Bram is in control of Holly and when somebody else is. Because she doesn't meet Bram. She doesn't meet anybody apart from Holly and the mothers. But she can tell. She knows who who is... She doesn't have a name for him, but she knows that this person... Is, is somebody that she's bonded with. And it's that bond that then gets them into trouble as the book progresses, as they both start to to realise what they feel for each other. And Bram gets into trouble with his father, with the senior mother. Eve gets into trouble with the mothers because, you know, she's asking questions of Holly that she shouldn't. Holly answers in ways that she shouldn't. There's even this moment where Eve knows it's not Holly, she knows it's this guy, and yet she's attracted to him. And, I, I, you know, it raises a lot of questions as what is it that attracts us to somebody? Is it physicality? Is it the, uh, the bond that we form with them? There is a lot of questions around, around the sexuality and, and gender that this book sort of asks but never really responds to. And I think that's fine, because this is the first in the trilogy. There is a second one out already called The Eve Illusion, and there is a third one coming next year, I think it is. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this progresses, but I'm also slightly wary, because I've always felt like Hunger Games kind of went off the boil in the third book. Uh, But that's because it, it locked itself into a format very early on, and I don't think this one has done that. Other things I liked about this book were actually once you got out into the world, because we do, and I'm not saying who does, but once you get out and see part of the world, it's it's actually quite interesting. You see how humanity has adapted, 
how they've used things of of the past. For instance, at one point uh, they're, they're referring to old statues which are now submerged underwater, but they're looking down at them. And I think that's quite interesting. They're talking about how the world is being controlled. Yeah, it's just a it's a really fun book in a way um, to 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 read. And I am going to read the second one very soon. Uh, as I said, Evil Man by Giovanna and Tom Fletcher is available to buy now in paperback, as is the second book in the series, The Evolution. <laughs> Exciting news for this week for fans of the Burt's Books bundles. That is because one of our favourite authors from one of our favourite publishers has had his most recent book optioned for TV. That's right, Arenda Books' Doug Johnston. He wrote A Dark Matter, which features the Skelf family. It's a family of three women who, in the aftermath of the death of the head of their family, your husband, father, grandfather, they have to live without him. They have to adapt to life without him and learn to run his business, which is an undertaker's come private investigator agency. Not necessarily the the two industries that you'd combine together, but it makes for a fun, good book. Entertainment company Blazing Griffin have acquired the rights, but only just, so there's no news yet on a channel for it or even a cast or date, but watch this space. Now, apart from that, the thing that caught my eye in the article uh, were the most was that the next one in the series is actually out this August. So keep an eye on birtsworks.co.uk for the pre-order of that book. Now, if you are a subscriber to the Burt's Books bundles, chances are at the beginning of this year you will have received a book called Blood Orange by Harriet Tyson. Well, I was very lucky to get a PDF uh, file of her new book, The Lies You Told, which is coming out later this year. And here's the blurb. Has she left her child in the care of a killer? Sadie has moved back to London so her daughter can attend the exclusive school her domineering father has secured her a place at. It's highly sought after and highly competitive, just like the other mothers Sadie soon discovers. While she's also trying to get her daughter settled and navigate the fraught politics of the school gate, Sadie is also trying to reclaim a position in her old legal chambers. She used to practice as a criminal barrister. She's given the junior brief on a scandalous case involving a male teacher and his student. It's an opportunity to prove herself, but will she let a dangerous flirtation cloud her professional judgement? And will her sudden close friendship with another mother prevent her from seeing the truth and the threat that she's inviting into her home? If you'd read Blood Orange, you will know that it's a story about another uh, barrister, criminal barrister. And what it does is it's a sort of domestic thriller in one half, but has this legal case in, in the other. And it doesn't really mix them. Uh, obviously, there are linking themes and the pressure of one impacts the, the, uh, the, on the other part of her life for the main character. I really enjoyed that because actually I, you sort of read some of these books and you think, oh, okay, it's going to turn out that something in her personal life, actually uh, the, the person that she's randomly been allocated to 
represent in in her legal life they're going to be somehow easily connected well that didn't happen in blood orange and i am pleased to say that it doesn't happen in the lies you told either and but it does all connect with what sadie's going through and how she protects her daughter sort of the breakdown of her marriage what what inspired that what happened there and and also just the other mothers now the other mothers that she meets at the school gate they're kind of all led by this one woman julia her name is and because of her name i think uh i started to imagine julia davis in in the lead role um who you might know from nighty night where she played a woman named jill tyrrell and she's awful in that i mean it's a great sitcom absolutely go and watch that if you get the chance but she's an awful awful character and that was who i saw when reading julia because also she's not that nice a person she kind of engineers everything so that um people are against sadie at first um but then things change and sadie starts to find some friends but then her daughter you know her daughter's school life starts coming better and it just all sort of hangs on this idea the pressure that children are under to do well in their tests and the way that the mothers treat their children and yeah it's just really page turning right to the last minute you think god is that can't be what happened really that's and then it just all clicks into place and because even you're like two three pages away from the end and you're thinking i think i've missed something here because i thought such and such a thing and then just in the last page just clicks into place and it just is another astonishing book from harriet tice it's actually already been a victim of covid19 it was due out in july but it has been delayed now until the end of august august the 20th i think it is off the top of my head uh but you can pre-order it now on birthbooks.co.uk and i will send it out to you as soon as it does come available it's time for an update on this week's chart our recap of last week, David Williams spent his third week at the top of the chart with Slime, and there were new entries for Stephen King and Leanne Moriarty. But this week seems to be the week of re-entries, with A Pinch of Nom, Mrs Hinch and Where the Crawdads Sing all returning to the top ten. Plus, for the first time in the top ten this year, is Sally Rooney's Normal People, which has obviously been helped by the TV adaptation that everybody seems to be binging on at the moment. If you haven't, here's what it's about. Connell and Marianne grow up in the same small town in the west of Ireland, but the similarities end there. In school, Connell is popular and well-liked, while Marianne is a loner. But when the two strike up a conversation, awkward yet electrifying. Something life-changing begins. So, there's also, there's Normal People, which is a re-entry, must be a re-entry, I don't have the data from last year, but it must have been in the top ten when it first came out. But there's also a new entry from Peter May, with the aptly named Lockdown. They said that 25% of the population would catch the flu. Between 70 and 80% of them would die. He had been directly exposed to it, and the odds weren't good. A city in quarantine. London, 
the epicentre of a global pandemic, is a city in lockdown. Violence and civil disorder simmer. Martial law has been imposed. No one is safe from the deadly virus that has already claimed thousands of victims. Health and emergency services are overwhelmed. A murdered child. At a building site for a temporary hospital, construction workers find a bag containing the rendered bones of a murdered child. A remorseless killer has been unleashed on the city. His mission is to take all measures necessary to prevent the bones from being identified. A powerful conspiracy. D.I. Jack McNeil, counting down the hours on his final day with the Met, is sent to investigate. His career is in ruins, his marriage over and his own family touched by the virus. Sinister forces are tracking his every move, prepared to kill again to conceal the truth, which will stop him first, the virus or the killers. This was actually written originally 15 years ago, but it has been re-released uh, uh, because actually it's been doing really well uh, in its previous edition on, on Amazon and the like. Uh, so lots of change this week, lots of re-entries, but where do they all end up? There is, as ever, only one way to find out, and that is by using the data sourced from the Nielsen Bookscan's Total Consumer Market Panel Chart. At 10, it's the first of our re-entries with Pinch of Nom by Kay Featherston and Kate Allenson. Kay and Kate are also back in at 9 with Pinch of Nom Everyday Night. Michael Connolly is down 4 at 8 with The Nightfire, and at 7 it's this week's sole new entry, Lockdown by Peter May. At 6 it's a re-entry for Claire McIntosh's book club choice, Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens, while at 5 it's Normal People for Sally Rooney. This week's highest re-entry is Mrs Hinch's Little Book of Lists at 4, while at 3 it's No Move for The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and the Horse by Charlie Maxey. Also, no move at two, it's Blue Moon by Lee Child, which means that David Walliams claims a fourth week at number one. After four weeks at number one, I thought that perhaps it would be a good idea to find out a bit more about Slime. I also wanted to experiment to see if I could do a conference call on Zoom which I could record and put into a podcast. So I contacted a certain young man who I thought might be able to help. He hasn't been on for a few weeks, uh, but he's here now and his name is Josh. What have you been up to? Uh, reading. What have you been reading? Goosebumps! Ooh. I've nearly finished them all. I've only got two left. Two left out of how many were there? 84. 84. And how long is it taking you to read all of those? Um, well, if I started just before... It was a little bit before your birthday, wasn't it? Yeah. So what, about a month? Yeah. That's crazy. I've nearly read them all. You, you must be really quick. How many books are you reading a day? About four or five. Four or five. And are they all Goosebumps books that you're reading? Are you reading anything else? Um, well, not all, but most of them are. Some days it's not all, but most days it is. <laughs> so have you read anything else that isn't Goosebumps? Yeah. What? I've read Slime and Thing. Slime and Thing, good. Slime and Williams. 
Did you enjoy those? Yeah. What is it about? Um, it's about this boy whose aunt runs um the island of Mulch. Mulch. At, yeah, M U L C H. Right. No, and his aunt is really mean. So, yeah. Um, and she pays other grown-ups for doing mean things to children. Well, that's not very nice. I know. <laughs> what sort of mean things? And how much does she get paid? Because uh, I need a bit of money. I don't know. <laughs> what mean things? I don't know. What mean things? Um, and like... She pays Madame Sloth, who is a piano teacher, and and all she does is um, play a few notes and sleep for the whole time. <laughs> if they wake her up, they have to stand on one leg, on one of the, on top of the piano seat, and they, so they turn the piano seat upside down. On one leg, they stand on. One of the legs. The upside down piano seat on one of the legs. Um, and then they balance something on their head for the whole time she's sleeping. Why? It's a punishment for waking uh, her up. Oh, I see. Because right. she's Madame Sloth and they don't learn anything. Ah, uh, I see. So is that a good book? Slime. Yeah, because he makes he makes loads of because his sister owns loads of jars of gunk, loads of gunk and loads of gunk like badger snot. Right. Um, and he puts and one night he puts um all of the gunk in a bath and. It makes up a big blob of slime, and he helps um, all the children to stop all of the mean adults. Oh, so he uses the slime against the adults? Yeah, because the slime can transform into anything. Oh, is it magic slime? No, it's just a massive blob of slime. Right, and they can make it turn into anything. So what do they make it turn into? Anything. Anything. Fine. So at first he turns it into a boot to boot his sister out of the way. <laughs> and then he turns into a slide so um, the boy can escape down him. Fourth book that I read this week is called The Third Wheel. And actually it kind of fits into a theme uh, of some of the other books that I read this week. It's about uh, the world in crisis. Let me read out the blurb to you. English teacher Dexter feels like he's being taunted by the universe. Everywhere he turns he's accosted by wedding invitations, housewarming parties and tables for two. Every last one of his friends is settling down with their other halves, while Dexter spends his evenings marking school books with his ginger cat for company. The thing is, he doesn't even mind being single. He just wishes his friends were too. After another wedding ends in drunken disaster, 
Dexter is musing on the situation and wondering what he's going to screw up next when he gets the shocking reminder that he's not the centre of the universe. An alien spaceship has landed on the continent, and when first contact is made, it's anything but friendly. Humanity's numbers dwindle immediately, and the survivors are left to do exactly that, survive. Dexter gathers his friends, and they all set off on a mission across the country, each with the goal of preserving their own lives in this new world. But these aliens are two-headed, tenacious, and have technology behind beyond anything seen on Earth. So saving the day looks more and more unlikely as they track down Dexter's motley crew. In the end, perhaps it is the one thing Dexter dislikes most that will help him survive. If he can just stop thinking about himself for one minute. Written to subvert any story that insists on including a romance subplot as well as any... So this is a fun book from Michael J. Ritchie, who... I've been getting to know over the last couple of weeks because he's been hosting some pub quizzes on Zoom, which I've been going to. Uh, and one of the questions in the literature round was, what is the name of the main character in The Third Wheel? Which I did not know the answer to. So I thought, well, I'd better give it a go. And it is fun. It's uh, it's nice little romp. And it does kind of, where it sort of alludes to in the blurb about suddenly Dexter realises that he isn't the centre of the universe. Uh, it, it kind of plays with that expectation a bit because it doesn't... It, it starts out going one way. You think, oh, he's going to fall in love, he's going to find somebody, or he's going to get back with his ex, and then suddenly aliens land. And, you know, it, it, it distracts everybody and changes the way that everybody's life is going. And it's it's kind of funny but quite gory and a very black comedy. And in terms of a voice, I would say that Ritchie actually almost writes a bit like David Mitchell. Not the Cloud Atlas David Mitchell for once, but actually the David Mitchell that is the comedian um, and you'll know from the likes of uh, Peep Show and Would I Lie to You. I, I kind of hear him whilst, whilst reading this book. So it is, it is fun. In terms of the ending, I would say uh, it definitely left me wanting more. Um, and I had a couple of questions, so I was able to go straight on to Zoom and talk to Michael and find out a bit more about it and find out the, way, the reasons why he ended it in the way he ended it. And he doesn't quite answer everything in the book and... The reason for that is because he wanted to leave it, you know, in life, not everything is answered. And it actually kind of leaves you with this sort of a bit where you can make up what happened yourself. And it's unusual for a book not to tie everything up, uh, you know, not to have a beginning, middle and end for everything. But at the same time, it's quite refreshing. Uh, and you can just enjoy it as it goes along. Um, yeah, and in, also in the in the blurb, it talks about uh, in part of the bit that I didn't read out that the reason it was written was to subvert any story that insists on including a romantic subplot. That's gone. That that's out. That is not what this is about. But it is kind of touched upon. It talks about that the single life and being the third wheel, and the benefits as well as the drawbacks to that. Uh, but also, you know, it talks about. 
a, a science fiction story where the the main cast of characters are not necessarily trained to be able to survive and yet some of them do and a lot of them don't but some of them do and it's just well how would these ordinary people survive uh what what would happen to them and yeah he kind of told me one little thing that happened next which he doesn't include in the book i I kind of wish he'd put it in the book because it would have just thematically almost have brought it full circle but it kind of works about it anyway uh i definitely recommend this one it's the third wheel by michael j Ritchie. uh have a look for it on birthsbooks.co.uk it's by an indie publisher published via unbound so it's one of those books where you know that when you buy it it will um definitely help somebody out And also leave a review for it as well, because again, like I said, it's an indie author, so any sales will help them. So if you enjoy it, do leave a review of it as well. Now, I am spoiling you this week, because not just one chart, but two. Because now that May is here, we can take a look at the best-selling books of the year so far. And that is not just at Burt's Books, that is across the country. Now... Obviously, we live in interesting times, so I've been working off of estimates for the last week, six weeks or so, to work out how much each book has sold. There's a sort of science to it, a sort of maths that I've come up with, but the result of much reduced book sales over the last month means that there isn't a huge change in the top ten. In fact, there's no change, because none of the books even move a position. So, if you remember the, the, the chart from, from last month, you won't be surprised by the next books that I read out, but I'm going to read them out anyway, just to remind us. At 10, it's the Costa Prize winner, The Volunteer by Jack Fairweather. Yonesbo is at 9 with the 12th Harry Hole thriller. The Beast of Buckingham Palace by David Walliams is at 8, while at 7 it's The Binding by Bridget Collins, and at 6 it's The Family Upstairs by Lisa Jewell. Into the top 5 now, it's Kate Atkinson's latest Jackson Brody novel, Big Sky, at four, it's Pink Lim Nom by Kay Featherston and Kate Allenson, and The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel is at three. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse is in second place by Charlie Mackesy, and though he's closing the gap on them, Kay Featherston and Kate Allenson are still at the top of the pile, holding firm onto the top spot with Pink of Nom. They will probably still be there next month, but I do think we will see a change elsewhere in the chart, as there are quite a few books that are lingering near the top ten, threatening to break in. Join me next week to find out the weekly rankings, but in three or four weeks' time to find out an update to the chart of the year. And hopefully by then we might have a little bit more reliable data than just me plucking numbers out of the air. Well, that is everything for this week. And I told you it was a bit longer than normal, although thankfully I didn't waffle on too long. Now, do check out burtsbooks.co.uk if you want a new book. Uh, And you'll be pleased to know that things should start moving a little bit quicker now that uh, the the supply chain is back up to uh, not quite half speed, but a little bit quicker than it was. In the meantime, obviously, I would love to hear from you about anything book-related. Get in contact with me on Facebook, on Instagram, 
I'm mostly seen on Twitter, having chats about books on there, um, or just silly things in general. Uh, yeah, get in contact uh, at Burt's Books on all the social medias, or of course you can email me, Bert at burtsbooks.co.uk. I'm hoping that next week I will have something fun and new for you, plus a little bit of news about uh, um, some new products going on to birthsbooks.co.uk, which I'm, I'm a bit excited about as well. So if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate and review on your podcast store, and of course, share it with your friends. I'm off to finish my next book, uh, as well as get some of those other things ready for next week. And I may have five reviews for you next week or I may be back down to three depends entirely on how productive I am with my reading see you then